And just the act of writing makes me more empathetic than I am in my day to day. It's important to me to offer a perspective that is like respectful of the audience and the subjects. And I don't know if I have a, a proclivity for doing that or if I'm necessarily good at it, but like I, I enjoy trying to come up with those narratives. It's like the creative and creative writing, right? Maybe the differentiating factor is just empathy. Even an attempt to understand someone in good faith can do a lot to set you apart from uh, all the other offerings on YouTube, which is sad, but like, yeah, that's just maybe the way the world is. Hello, 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 and welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets up deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. You are listening to episode 108 with John Corpora. John is the content manager for TCG Player. He is the producer of the TCG Player YouTube series, Pretty Dece, that has over 2 million views. And he's a very experienced writer and content creator in the Magic the Gathering space. It was a very fun conversation to record. And fundamentally, this episode is about storytelling content creation, all the topics that I love, I'm interested in. And John even shared some of his tips as a manager because he is managing a team, a content team at TCG Player. A good and honest conversation all around. I had a lot of fun. I hope you have fun listening to it. I would love to get your support on Humans of Magic, the project. So if you have not had the chance, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Both accounts can be found at Humans of Magic, one word. We also have a new Patreon, patreon.com slash humans of magic. If you want to join our exclusive Discord community, you want me to help review your podcast or content, happy to do that through the Discord and the Patreon. I have switched to a weekly release format. So Humans of Magic is always going to be free. It's always going to be a labor of love, but the Patreon is going to go a long way to cover the additional intensity of the workload. And I'm really happy to do weekly episodes. I want to get more Humans of Magic content out. So your support is always appreciated. The phenomenal music you hear in this episode and every episode of Humans of Magic is supplied by Kupla. That's spelled K-U-P-L-A. Kupla is an absolutely fantastic musician. He's a magic player, and you can find all of his music on all the streaming platforms, including Spotify and SoundCloud. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter as well, Kupla Sound, and uh, tell him Humans and Magic said hi. John, how are you doing today? Oh my God, I am crushing it. Um, yeah, so... Tomorrow is Star City Syracuse, and so there are a bunch of dudes downstairs playing Magic in my house while I am up here talking with you, and there's no place I'd rather be. You've been a, are you a Syracuse native? Did you move here later on in life, or what's your situation? So I grew up in Cortland, which is, for, for those of you who know kind of the geography of upstate New York, it is smack dab in between Ithaca and Syracuse. 
So those were kind of like the hubs I grew up playing magic at. So yeah, sorry to answer your question, more or less a native of Syracuse. Like I've been coming to the mall all my life, right? Yeah. And I've, I've lived here, God, I, uh, I started at TCG in 2014. TCG player, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Um, so, and I, I think I moved up here maybe like 2010. So yeah, it's, it's been a minute, but yeah, I'm like a native of the area. Okay. So I'll throw this fun fact out at you. Sure. I once had Syracuse translated into Chinese and I realized Uh that it actually translated literally as snow city. I'm not joking. Ah! Like I had no idea. Like there must be some, there must be people who have immigrated to the U S and went to Syracuse and decided to call it that it's not because you know, you know, the, the translation of the United States is like literally in Chinese, it's like beautiful country, but now you, then you have, now you have snow city for Syracuse. Like, does that surprise you? Have you ever heard this? Cause it shocked me when I first heard this. It shocked me when you just said it just now. I, I was like, yeah, that, that can't possibly be a coincidence. Like, yeah, someone someone knows. Is Syracuse, like, it's it must be based on a, I don't know, like a Native American name? Is that where it came from? Does it snow a lot? I mean, I, oh, I don't yeah, know. Oh, yeah, it snows a shitload. Um, okay. So, yeah, we're, we're right in between, like, if you know, again, upstate New York geography, we're right in between two Great Lakes. So, and we're like, we're on the like, I don't, I never remember the difference between latitude and longitude, but we're on one of those lines where it's like perfect to get cold weather and get snowed and shat on in the winter. And um, and so, yeah, we get a lot of lake effect snow from kind of like those two directions. It's very snowy here. It's kind of awful. <laughs> I'm surprised you said it's kind of awful because I assume that once you're in it or once you've lived in that situation long enough, you just kind of, it becomes the reality or the norm, right? Well, so we do, (laughs) wow, this is not where I was expecting this to go, but yeah, Syracuse does have really good infrastructure when it comes to snow. Like if it snows three feet overnight, that's going to be cleared up by the time people have to commute in the morning. Okay. Um, so like we're always prepared for that stuff, but it's still like it's still very snowy. And I think what kind of keeps you from getting used to it every year is that once you're in it, it kind of sucks. And you get these glimpses, like where sometimes it'll be like 50 degrees mm-hmm. on like a random February day, and a lot of the snow will melt. And you'll get like a brief taste of the light at the end of the tunnel. And then uh, two days later, it snows another two feet, like in, in the span of like four hours. And you're just like, oh my God, it's never going to end. <laughs> and that's just kind of how it goes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have to apologize right off the bat for this interview because first of all, I apologize because I'm Canadian and Canadians apologize a lot. And secondly, Canadians <laughs> always talk about the weather. So I'm totally leaning into this whole trope yeah. of like, I'm a nice guy who apologizes within the first five minutes of a conversation <laughs> and, and asking you about the weather. And yeah, uh, yeah sorry about that. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, um, 
I think the best episodes or the best podcasts are when yeah. people say something like, this is not what I expected to get into because oh, yeah. here you are thinking you're going to just talk about magic and we are not going to do that. Although we are going to talk about it right now. So maybe you can quickly sure. introduce yourself for those who may not know your excellent work, you know, in the magic <laughs> space <laughs> and otherwise. Thank you. Uh, my name is John Kapora. I am a content manager at TCG Player. I've been doing, been doing that for the last four years. And uh, as part of my responsibilities there, I also run our YouTube channel. So that's just TCG Player over on YouTube. I, I have my own series slash vanity projects on that channel called Pretty Dece. Um, I was actually outvoted on the name of that. But uh, but you took editorial control and just just kept the name, right? No, no. Uh, so hmm, how to explain it? We started. So we got to back up pretty far back to like 2016. Um, for a brief time, about two years, uh, my boss was Adam Staborski, who is now he now works for Wizards of the Coast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know Stips, yeah. uh, through Wizards. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. And for a brief time, he was my boss at TCG Player. Um, and one of his edicts to me was like, we need to be producing on YouTube. And our like primary objectives were basically just to grow the channel in terms of uh, subscribers. So we, in true marketing fashion, me and my uh, coworker, Jason, just spent a lot of time throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick. And by a lot of time, I mean like two years. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2018, um, Dominaria, that set came out. So yeah. there was this card in there called, it was Tashar. And uh, Brian Gottlieb had made a deck with a bunch of uh, infinite loops that you could do with Tashar and a bunch of other cards in standard. And all we did was kind of like demonstrated the loops. Like we made like animations of a board state and just kind of like showed off all the convoluted Rube Goldberg-esque loops that this deck could pull off. And um, I remember it was a Friday. It was like in April and um, uh, old, our old TCG player offices, they had a bar across the street. So uh, Jason, who's kind of like the technical end, or used to be the technical end of Pretty Dece, he's like rendering this thing out. And he was like, um, I'll, I'll meet you at the bar when this is done. And so I'm there and he comes over and we like are having a drink and we're talking and we're like, yeah, that's a weird video. That's really outside the form like that we usually do. But I'm like really excited about it. And then an hour later, he uh, checked out the metrics and like, we had 12,000 views, which was a lot for us. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. 10K plus is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. In, in like two hours after uploading. And like, it was like, holy, holy shit. Like, what, what is happening? Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And um, after that, it was like, okay, do more long form videos like that. So we did like, showed off like the KCI combo, showed off like, that old Cheerios deck with SRAM and all the zero mana equipment, just like a bunch of showed off like every convoluted combo deck there was. And then once we ran out of those, it was like, well, what other long form thing can we do? So like, I, I wrote about like, 
boomer shit like textless cards you know like stuff that most players just like would not be around for okay and um but and so like we kept making these videos and we needed a name for them and uh i had always based my scripts off of another youtube series called pretty good mm-hmm. and um if you or anyone listening has heard of that it's a uh, it's a series uh by john boys over at sb nation and it's awesome and that was kind of like my inspiration for it so a, a magic version of pretty good by someone like slightly younger would be called pretty decent like that was something I used to say around the office as a joke. And then once the videos like started taking off, we needed a name kind of for the brand. And Jason was like, how about Pretty Dece? And I was like, absolutely not. That is the dumbest name I've ever heard. Of. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I see you and wanted to throw that out. Okay. I exactly. Got exactly. Like I, I still don't have like a good alternative. I just knew I didn't want it to be that. And then Staborski was the decider and he was like, it's, it's pretty decent, man. Like, it's, yeah. it, that's yeah. just like what it, it just is. is. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, damn it. All right. You're right. But damn it. So, um, so yeah, that was how, <laughs> that was how the series got its name. Okay. I've got some questions here. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about this. So <laughs> the long form video content, yeah. Why, if you look back on it, of course, you said the first one hit, and then I assume the subsequent ones also did fairly well. They so, did, yeah. if you could deconstruct that, like, why do you think that was as opposed to shorts or something else? Is it just because no one else was doing that on YouTube, or was it just kind of like morbid curiosity that people wanted to watch these combos, or nobody really understood what the fuck these combos right. took to execute, or what was it? So there are a couple of things in play here. Um, one was obviously like a lack of competition on that axis. Like um, right. I believed then, and I still believe now, I think we produce like the best animations in the magic space, full stop. And I used to like really take pride in that because I have nothing to do with that. I have nothing to do with like, I have very little to do with the aesthetic and nothing to do with like kind of the technical production, but it like, it felt like week after week was just like my coworker Jason stunting on the magic community and like not even knowing it because he's mm-hmm. not on Twitter at all. He mm-hmm. barely plays magic. So like he doesn't know, but I know. And it's like, it's very exciting for me to, to kind of like be in the space with, with this kind of like technical prowess behind me. So shit dude so that was like that was like a that's almost like a hidden weapon from another industry right because you have yeah yeah okay so yeah why did why did people uh yeah why did it hit right why did it why did it hit so it's partly like we didn't have a ton of competition like i I would say for um people doing long form essays at that time so this was 2018 it was basically ristic studies and i and i i wouldn't go as far as to compare myself to him because sam is like on another level but as far as uh that format goes it is just him and i and then on the youtube side that like algorithm is always going to favor longer videos right so they can serve more ads. watch time time on the site right that's right and if you're uploading a script manually that's a ton of metadata for youtube to use and serve organic impressions 
to people who are going to be like hyper interested in this, which magic tends to produce, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's part like we finally got a format that was long enough to really like take advantage of YouTube's incentives and also like kind of a lack of competition on the community side. Yeah, it's it's definitely both for sure. Mm -hmm. The other question I had Mm -hmm. is, I love that Pretty Dece is an homage to Pretty Good. I think that just personally speaking, I'm a huge fan of Grantland and like just this yeah. intersectionality of sports and other disciplines. Like, so whether mm-hmm. it's like you're taking something from sports as an homage to magic or X and Y, like there's, there's so many different combinations of things. Cause I, mm-hmm. I kind of grew up reading Bill Simmons and yeah, page yeah. two and really uh-huh. like feeling like, wow, this is the first guy that was like talking about wrestling and the NBA. That's right. Or the wire or game of Thrones with, something else like just kind of like mixing yeah. it up and just as a as a writer myself just kind of feeling like it was okay to do that because i feel like right. before i discovered him it was kind of like you stuck in a lane and i feel like yeah. that is the aesthetic i don't know if aesthetic is the right word but that's the kind of feeling that pretty dece as well as your spiritual predecessor are kind of going for right because you mm-hmm. have a video about uh steph curry and relating that to to yeah, magic yeah. and you have like different i love that because i think you should be inspired by all these kind of things pop culturally that are going around going on around us and i think that's great but the question here is like how did you find that voice because when i watch pretty dece i really have the sense that it's you right i mean not just because it's your voice like literally mm-hmm. your voice but also there's this particular style that feels very it feels like you know john boyce a little bit but it also feels like Simmons, it kind of feels like this sort of irreverent mm-hmm. mishmash of pop cultures and sports. Like, how did you think you found that voice? So I've been, first of all, I have a, I have a degree in creative writing, so that helps a shitload. But um, I've also been writing about magic for a really long time. And so my writing career started in 2010 while I was uh, while I was still in college. Uh, Star City had a like a talent search, basically, and it was structured like Survivor. Do you remember or no? I absolutely remember Survivor, but not the SCG talent search. So I I remember. <laughs> okay, so okay. I'm I think I'm in your age group because I turned yeah. 40 this year. Okay. I played Magic in the 90s. Just so you know, I started playing in third edition, revised mm-hmm. uh, with the two-player starter set with my brother. And I remember the first season of Survivor. I may not have watched all the subsequent seasons, but I watched the first season with Richard Hatch or whatever his name was. So so this competition that uh, Star City put on was structured a lot like Survivor, where um, you basically needed to submit uh, a, a blog for them every week. And there were all these categories. Like there was like limited and constructed and, um, I think maybe video and mixed media, whatever. And I, I went for like the limited thing because limited's always been my favorite. And at that point, I'm like, I'm in college. I'm like too broke to play constructed, especially because at the time, uh, Jason the Mind Sculptor was still legal. So like that was that was more or less a non-starter. Um, that was like a hundred dollar card back then, right, or something? Such bullshit. Yeah, it was it yeah. was a hundred bucks. A um, <laughs> hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> 
so yeah so i went and uh i did that that was 2010 ended up getting offered a contract with them and uh, did a little writing for the magic show uh evan Irwin's old gig yeah um yeah. so yeah i wrote a couple episodes for wait that. how many people did you beat out in this survivor battle royale survival of the fittest I don't know, but in, in terms of the actual competition, I, I bubbled, like I, I, um, I got knocked out before prizes and the prizes were like a spot on, uh, the TCG or the, sorry, the star city games roster, uh, of writers. And so I bubbled, but then Evan Irwin like slid in my DMS on uh, Twitter and was like, Hey, here's my number at star city. Here's my extension. Please give me a call this afternoon. And I called him up and I was like, Evan Irwin. He's like, how the fuck are you, John? And I was like, holy shit. He just swore at me. This is like Evan, like in real life, as if he was on the video, right? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. And um, yeah, and he was like talking. He was like, yeah, like your stuff. Let's um, let's we're going to bring you on. And uh, I'm going to have you like write a couple episodes remote for the magic show. And so that was really fun got to pre his preview card was a uh, bone horde i believe so like we, i got to write that episode of the magic show <laughs> and at the time it was like such a it was it was a big deal like i was in college and going from nothing to that was sick and then from there um wrote for uh gathering magic which is now just cool stuff inc then over to Channel Fireball, and then finally uh, to TCG Player in 2014. Um, so yeah, I I had a lot of time to develop kind of like what I was about writing-wise. And yeah, I had a lot of time to develop and had like a natural aptitude for it just by virtue of having done it for so long and really being interested in um in magic blogs basically my entire teenage and adult life if you knew to look for it then i think you'd say that my the person i'm actually aping the most when i write is or i'm trying but like i no one can do him justice it's jeff cunningham mr cunningham yes yeah 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 he's one of the ogs so you wouldn't know that i'm aping him unless mm-hmm. you were looking for it once you're looking for it you just can't unsee it you know what I yeah mean? yeah by the way i think it's totally fine to I, i'm really glad you came out and said this because i think mm-hmm. it's totally fine in the content world first of all i don't think any content is truly original it's kind of like saying you know mm-hmm. every every band is the beatles right right i believe that at least so i think it's yeah. really fine to just 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 be honest and saying like who you're aping or who you're paying yeah. homage to Mm-hmm. I feel that all the time, even with this podcast, where it's like, I created this in a certain style based on podcasts that I enjoy, and just kind of applying it to magic in a different way. And yeah. I, I'm really glad you said that, because I really think that you should be inspired and take the best parts of oh, yeah. what's what's influencing you. I love that. And I know Jeff Cunningham is like, the OG. I think he might be from Canada, right? I, I have never. I, I believe he is also from uh, from like West Coast Canada, like Vancouver. Area. Yeah, I'm I'm from Vancouver. So even yep. though I never met him, he is. James, I listen to the show every week. 
I know okay. you're from Vancouver. Okay, okay. <laughs> the listeners might not know. It's like this is a new thing where I'm trying to like put more of myself into it and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you, know, yeah. If you listen to it, you're like, okay. But it's always tough because I end up thinking like, oh my god, I'm because I'm self conscious. It's like, am I talking about myself too much? Anyways, uh-huh. let's go back to what you said. Yeah. But then I want to go back and ask. Well, actually, two things. The first one: what did you learn from writing scripts for Mister Irwin? That process, because um, it's different from writing, just writing an article. It's now, it's like a different definitely. Yeah. So my, my focus on, um, my focus during college was in screenwriting specifically. Oh, perfect. So yeah. I was, I, I, I kind of had like a, a natural, or maybe not a natural, but like a learned aptitude for uh, writing for the screen. My big takeaway for writing, from writing for Evan was that collaborating uh remotely is really really difficult and you have to be really disciplined and I wasn't like I just wasn't yeah like I I just had too many things going on with like the column I had and then also I'm in school full-time I'm like living on my own for the first time so that's like fraught with a bunch of nonsense and so, yeah, like you have to be so disciplined and you have to, you have to want it so badly uh, to like collaborate with someone else. And I think at that point in my life, I was like too lazy. It, it just, yeah, like um, I, I, I don't regret how many things shook out, but yeah, like I, I learned that collaborating remotely is excessively difficult. I, even now, like I have a team of four editors and writers um, uh, at TCG Player and collaborating remotely is like, it's it's still really difficult for me. So um, like I'll, I'll host like co-working sessions like at the house, uh, you know, maybe like every other week for mm-hmm. folks to just come hang out. Unfortunately, like Emma Partlow is in the UK and um, uh, Jason, our Yu-Gi-Oh! editor is in Canada. So like not everyone can make it, but um, yeah, collaborating in person is something I really value. And a lot of that is informed by um, my experience writing on the magic show. Like I, I could have been a lot more impactful with some more discipline, but I, I just wasn't there yet. Like. Mm-hmm. I had to fuck that up basically to learn that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think you're honest with this too, right? Kind of looking back, but I would also, so by the way, I'm a huge fan of comedy and I, I think there's a, some parallels to like, you know, the, the screenwriting for, for anything. So, you know, like yeah. you're writing for the, I don't know, the Gary Sandling or the Larry Sanders show. Like you have all these writers that are like sitting in a yeah. room together and trying to work. Out I some love things. that show, by the way. You do, right? That's a, okay. That's a deep cut. Yeah, not yeah. many people have heard of. No, that. I mean, uh, come on. If, if you're a comedy nerd, how can you not know that stuff, right? So, yeah, yeah. You know, so for sure. So I think there's something to be said for people physically being in the room together that really helps the collaboration. And when you're remote, especially now during COVID times, or because your your colleagues are different parts of the world, it's it's yeah. not possible. But there's always something good about just kind of like being there on the ground together and as you're when you're younger it's it's even harder because Uh for various reasons right yeah yeah it's yeah the the energy like it's it's such a vital part at least for me to be um like effectively creative 
I guess is how I'll put it. Like, yeah, that, that like energy from other people is so vital to like the creative process. Um, because yeah, the, even Deces like are, they're not like created in a vacuum. Like I'll, I'll have an idea, but, um, it's really kind of like something that, um, Jason or now, uh, Isaiah, that's something that they'll bring to the table that like kind of brings it to life. Um, an ex a good example from like a recent video would be, um, and I think there's a video, yeah, where I talk about like it Luris's impact on modern, like before and after it got banned. And they're like one of the one of the sections just has like a guy on a tightrope. And like, um, yeah, the whole video is like this top-down view on this graph, but then for a brief second it like kind of looks up and we see this guy on a tightrope, uh, kind of like navigating it, and there are all these huge blown up Luris cards just like staring down at him yeah and that was not me but it, i loved it like it, yeah. i was so i was so excited when he like showed me that thing he's like hey i got this idea yeah and he showed me that and i was like oh my god i love it yeah and i like, think you're i think you're kind of like the showrunner but there's still also people that yes. are putting pieces together right because you have the For general sure. vision or maybe the director and then but it's a, it's a team effort, it sounds like. Definitely. Like, um, when you work with really talented people, it behooves you to let them cook. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, yeah, you, you gotta let smart people cook, even if it's not necessarily, like, your vision, because the idea is, like, creating something that's greater than some of its parts. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, you're like, in my view, at least I'm, if I'm not doing that, then I'm like wasting the resources that like TCG player has generously like plopped into my lap, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And before I want to go deeper on pretty Dece, but I want to go mm -hmm. first step back and ask the, the second part of the question, which is like, why did you decide to get into magic writing in the first place? You you must have played magic you, in the oh, yeah. in the late nineties, right? But how how did you go from like playing magic to writing about it? Because many people don't make that leap. Yeah, yeah. I've always had a pretty like passive interest in just like writing in general, and I I don't know where that comes from. If I had to guess, um, it like the act of writing gives me a chance to like. Um, be my most ideal um rational version of myself like it gives me a chance to collect my thoughts and arrange them and like be more patient and understanding and um eh, because of that i i really like doing it um so i've i've always had like a passive interest in writing so my first lgs in portland actually had a forum and I was super active on it. And I would, I would do like FNM tournament reports every week for this little forum of like 12 people. And yeah, like, yeah, I guess I've been developing my voice for a long time, but yeah, I've, I've always had an interest in writing. Um, I originally went to school to be like a screenwriter. Right. But like, how many seats at the table are there for that? So yeah, 
And it was it was really apparent early on that like that was just like not going to happen. So um, I I found kind of like magic blogging while I was in college, and then from there I was in the right place at the right time, like multiple times, and that's how I got started at TCG Player. Um, but and and it also helped that I from like a really young age. So I started. I started when I was 11 and I was 11 in uh, 2000. So I got, I picked up my like starter 99 pack, like right as the prophecy pre-release was happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just to like really, really center it in a place in time. Like, and thank God I didn't go to that fucking prophecy pre-release because Holy shit. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I, that's when I like picked up my set and by then, um, Star City Games was kind of like in full force in terms of, um, publishing articles and, and then Brain Burst, which was like TCG Players Old Magic Blog. They were, they were going to, I believe, ZV was the site runner for them at that time for at least the content blog. But, um, but yeah, and I, I just like, I read everything without like discretion because it was people talking about magic and I'm an only child. So I have like, I have no one to even like bounce these things off of about this like new game that I love. So I just like dove head first into like every blog I could get my hands on mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. about magic. Like, yeah, just looking back on <laughs> the shit I used to read I read so much Oscar Tan like I like do you remember who he is I do he's not like, maybe you can explain it for the listeners one. yeah he, so like he he would write these really really long verbose like articles about type one and yeah. there would be so much work put into them but they Obviously, it's about vintage. He had a weekly column it's, about vintage. It's niche writing about a niche thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. Um, and I remember talking to Ted Knutson about him like years, years, years after the fact. He was like, You used to read that guy? Like, yeah, you and like 50 other people, I guess. Like, God, I hated editing that guy. So uh-huh. that, like, I always got a kick out of that. I thought that yeah. was really funny. But yeah, I was, uh, I was not discretionary and I loved, like, it was, it was like, uh, it was like being able to talk to someone about magic, mm-hmm. which I like didn't always have. So, um, yeah, I naturally, like, I already had an interest in writing from like being very young and then, mm-hmm. um, observing that some people were like combining magic and writing just like made the game that much more sticky for me mm-hmm. it created did it create some sort of identity for you as you started writing yourself um i i feel like i i was <laughs> for better or worse i've been pretty self-assured my entire life and okay i think i think you have to be in order to uh to put, to put your stuff like, out there right to strangers right yeah yeah especially like who's gonna give a shit about kamigawa block in 2019 like right. let's see um <laughs> so yeah you you have to be like for better or worse pretty 
self-assured in order to even like put that kind of stuff out there. Um, And I've always had this thing ever since I started playing magic where I've always felt like too nerdy for like the cool kids at like my high school or whatever. And then like too kind of like fratty for the hardcore nerds. So like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to, like bring that into my writing i think like okay. I, i've always used to use a sports writing, term you're a tweener you're you're sure, like the, yeah, yeah you're like the six foot three small forward or something right mm-hmm. okay interesting interesting i mean so you must have really loved i mean you you talked about reading magic articles and just voraciously absorbing everything around you mm-hmm. uh, what was it like to like you must have had your favorite writers and and different things like that, but it sounds For like sure. at that point you were still trying to just learn about magic. So was there a totally. point where you felt like, I guess it's a self confidence thing, but at what point did you feel like you were absorbing and you moved into like I have something to say or I have something unique to say? I've I've always felt that way. like i think that's like the only child thing where i'm just like every thought that tumbles through my head is a important and Uh b to be documented for everyone else to see how important it is right so um yeah that's like yeah that's definitely always been um that's just been the way i'm wired for better Mm -hmm. or worse you know Mm -hmm. like um (laughs) yeah I never really thought about that though until you asked. It's so funny. God. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's the thing. We never we can't see ourselves, right? That's just the right. that's just life. So yeah. Um I, I mean, okay, so now now going kind of back to uh later on, which is kind of like sure. you're you're writing and you have these breaks with SCG and different publications. Yeah. And Actually, no, let me, let me ask one thing. So okay. why did you say that like there wasn't a seat at the table for you in terms of screenwriting? Because you just struck me as someone who's like very confident and, and feels like he has something unique to offer and whatever he puts his mind to. So why is it? Is it like you just didn't want to move to LA? You didn't want to like have to go into the business of, uh, you know, selling your screenplays? Like why was it that? I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, there are a lot of barriers to entry there. Right. Like, and that's, that's, that's like what you pointed out just now. Right. Like that's, there's a ton of barriers to entry and um, those can be really demotivating, especially when like I was being presented with like this opportunity um, at star city in front of me. Right. So I was more like, okay, this, like this thing I want to do over here that I'm like going to school for is extremely difficult. So like, Let's just see where this magic thing goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out pretty well. So you, you've kind of just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't complain. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely lucky. Like, like I, 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 I would like to establish that. Like, I got so lucky. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously no complaints. Okay. So maybe in the first five to 10 years of your writing career, I guess, starting in the, in the two thousands, like yeah, yeah. what would you say are like the biggest takeaways or lessons you've learned 
from that period as a as an early stage writer magic writer sure sure um mostly like so one of my one of my biggest influences as a writer um someone in the, in the magic space that i really gravitated towards and appreciated um uh do you remember gaddy l slifer I do not. So you'll have to have to fill me in. Yeah. So he won uh, Pro Tour Chicago. Or no, sorry, not Chicago. Um, he was from Chicago. He won Pro Tour Philadelphia, the block constructed uh, Pro Tour for Kamigawa, uh, beating Kenji Samura in the finals. And he was like an incredible player. And he's the same age as me. Um, I believe he was born in either 89 or 88. So that would put him at the uh, same age as me. I was born in 89. And he was so, like, he was, he won that Pro Tour when he was 15. So, like, he's talking about, like, oh, everyone's so bad. And, like, I'm just crushing all these people. No one knows what they're doing. This dude played Katsuni Blade Master against me in a Pro Tour. Like, nice card, idiot. Thanks for the Grey Ogre. And he was so brash and like in a way that no one else was because, and and, in hindsight is because no one else was a child, right? So like he just kind of like lacked the the foresight to see maybe why decorum was important, but, um, um, or maybe not, you know, like maybe he was just like so far above the rim that like, he just didn't give a shit. That, that second one's probably more likely. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, his writing was so distinct and it like it it seemed to capture like the vernacular that I was like familiar with as a magic player. And so um, I I tended to channel a lot of that early on. And the thing is that is really alienating it's really alienating to like read that kind of thing and either like not understand or not get the joke or not be like part of the in crowd right Mm -hmm. like and um and yeah that that's like one of the really important things i learned early on is that like you can you need to like find a balance between like being brash and not being an asshole because Mm -hmm. that line is thin and not bright. And if you like are on the wrong side of it, you are just going to alienate a ton of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think to use a, maybe a sports analogy here, like you can be irrationally confident and you can believe that every shot you take is going to go in, even if you're the the sixth best best player on your team, but you think you're Mm -hmm. Lance Stevenson, you think you're better than LeBron. And that's totally fine in a sports world where the results are say everything. So it's like, if you are Lance and you think you're the best, you go on and you, you make three shots in a row, you are the best at that point in time. And it doesn't like, that doesn't alienate anybody because sports is very results oriented, to be honest. That's right. But in writing, like so much of it is in your head. So it's like, you can be irrationally confident and think I'm God's gift to magic, or I really figured this out and they're playing a gray ogre and they're just wasting their time. But it doesn't translate that well to the written word because there's an extra layer of like the reader has to get that. Right. And if they don't enjoy that, like if they don't understand how the whole 
conceit where the whole construct is done, then they can't get it. So that that's like that's really hard, I think, in writing. For sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, they just really have to be either in on the joke or not taking it too seriously or. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine writing like that now mm-hmm. because like I think as as I've gotten older, I value the opinion of muggles so much more than magicians that like I wouldn't give a shit if like someone thought like Kitsune Blade Master was a big card or whatever right. comp you want to use. Like, right. So yeah, a lot of that is also just like comes from a place of immaturity uh, manifested by using mat like using skill as magic as like a measuring stick right uh, to like evaluate it's like people. it's like magic player mentality but applied to the world of magic writing and i think just kind yeah. of i would have to assume for you like just kind of maturing helps a lot with that and it does what are some of the other things because like one of the things is like you're you know you just mentioned like perhaps uh the tone or like not representing things well to a to a broader audience is there yeah. are there other things in maybe your first decade um I think it, I think it really all uh, funnels back to, um, you know, like maintaining some sort of perspective and just like being real about what your audience is. So um, to like, to give an example, uh, a really, a person who's like really good at this, I think like the best at this and it's no wonder her kind of like magic writing career has taken off is Emma Partlow because um, so before she was a full-time staff writer uh, for TCG Player, she was a just a weekly columnist and she wrote this column called, um, it was just like a modern on a budget, whatever deck. And it basically gave like, here's, here's a really good archetype in modern. Here's like a really budget version of it and then like here's how you can upgrade it and she wrote it she structured it that way because she understood what a typical magic player experiences like um i love ari lax but his column about modern for us is suggesting a different deck to play every week based on tiny inflections in the metagame no magic player can do that like especially with modern like it's just too expensive yeah. and it's the spikiest not... of spike spikiest right, right. articles like, yeah yeah like you're what you're gonna do is you're gonna switch to a different deck and that deck is gonna cost uh as much as a, a down payment on a car and uh you're gonna go from one deck to the other to the other to the other to the other every week uh mm-hmm. based on how well four color elementalist did the week before or some shit and that's just like, that's not the experience of magicians, right? Like, it's just not how the vast, vast majority of even the most enfranchised magic players do anything. So like, um, Emma's, Emma observed that and like reworked her content to speak to them. Right. And like, that's something really important. Um, 
that is also a perspective that's really hard to gain, which is just like meeting your audience, like where they need to be met, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know how else to put it, but um, yeah, like understanding their challenges and their um, experience and like speaking to it without being condescending. It's like such a hard line to tell, but um, it starts with um, understanding their experience and mostly acknowledging that it's probably not too different from your own. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like uh, I I don't think I'm the only one that's ever like been broke and still trying to play magic. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I will say though, in Ari's defense, just a little bit, like there is a demographic of people that have a rental service on magic online and they're, they're willing to do that because they're playing the, the modern challenge next week and they can just use card hoarder or whatever and get a different deck. Um, I do agree. I I do. I do agree with you in the sense that that pie is a lot smaller. He's writing for a more dedicated or I guess by definition, more niche audience. And I think, I think this is also the thing that really fascinates me because as someone who is a content manager for TCG player, it's sort of like you have your own personal tastes of what you want to do, which is really reflected in your YouTube series. But Mm -hmm. then there's also the kind of like mass appeal. And I know this is a topic as old as magic itself, right? Which is kind Uh of like, people just want the sideboard guide. So do you want to give them the Paulo Vitor like masterclass in something because yeah. it's only going to reach five out of a hundred people. Um, so I don't know if you have any particular thoughts of that. Maybe we'll start with a question, which is like, yeah. how do you feel from a, take your hat of TCG player off for a second for you personally, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that spectrum of like uh, someone like Emma who has extreme universal appeal versus like a PV who is only good for like someone who's like grinding a PT basically. So it's like, like, what is the, what is your personal preference skew on that spectrum? Sure. So, um, on that, on that spectrum specifically, I definitely personally skew more towards like the PV Ari lax end of it. Like, um, on the spectrum of like Emma speaking to a newer player versus uh, PV speaking to a more enfranchised player, I've been playing Magic for 20 years. So I, I definitely skew more towards like um, appreciating uh, Paulo's perspective a lot more. Um, like, and that's just on a personal level. So um, yeah, with Ari uh, in particular, I, I read his column every week and like it's, it's actionable for someone like me, yes. right? Like, um, who's like putting all the PTQ stops like on their calendar and like, uh, like kind of like planning out those trips and hoping to spike one and mm-hmm. uh, like maybe deluding myself into thinking I've got like a, a realistic shot at it. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, that personally that like enfranchised um uh the the content for enfranchised players is really what speaks to me um but i i would also push back i don't think it's necessarily like two different sides of a coin Mm. um i don't i don't necessarily think it's a spectrum because 
what I'm finding that I like the most is just like finding out stuff about magic's history that I never knew about before. And um, it, which doesn't necessarily help me play better in a PTQ, but like, I, I think magic's history is so big and strange and fascinating that like I, I can't really help but talk about it when I am given a platform. Right. Okay. So the second part of the question then is yeah. as wearing the TCG player content manager hat, yeah. what's what do you try? Do you try to guide content creators on your team and maybe even yourself to do certain mm -hmm. types of things? Uh, perhaps for mass appeal, perhaps not, but I kind of want to hear how you feel about it. Sure. So, um, yeah, now that I've got the, the content manager hat on, um, I will say that uh, SEO is a very big part of it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's. You mean search engine it, optimization? That or? is correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that people like, find it. You're, yeah. That's right. That's right. Making sure that uh, uh, all the, or a lot of the stuff you're writing uh, is most likely to show up in Google searches. Up, up top, right? So um, that's a huge factor because um, without an audience, uh, you just you don't have a platform. <laughs> so um, getting getting that like organic traffic is is really key. Um, also, um, it's it's understanding like it's understanding um, where people are coming from and like understanding the, the cohorts, if you will. So for example, a cohort would be like a lapsed player or a competitive player or a commander player. Um, yeah. Like a persona, right? That's right. That's right. So um, just like kind of understanding like, okay, um, these are our cohorts. This is like, uh, kind of like their um, behavior profile once they get to our site. Um, this is how like maybe how like transactional each cohort is uh, given a certain call to action. This is all like a pretty like high level marketing stuff. Like uh, I'm, I'm kind of like painting with a broad brush here. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's understanding your cohorts, understanding like what their behavior is once you get to the, once they get to the site and then kind of like optimizing um, the content you publish for whatever your KPIs or your goals are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like, let's say um, I really want like, uh, we're right now we're planning Q3. So that's going to be like um, uh, uh, July, August, September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we're done planning Q3, sorry. The weeks all blend together. But, right. um, but yeah, so for Q3, we're trying to um, um, maximize on uh, new visitors because we're like, we're trying to like grow our footprint, right? So um, for new visitors, we're going to write a lot of, um, we're like, we're going to try to compete over, uh, keywords, like how to play magic, right? Like we're going to try to compete over those queries. And we're also going to 
like present uh, budget options because that's like one of the most common things that a new player will Google. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it really, it really depends on like what you are trying to like, what your goals are, and then uh, your own understanding of uh, the cohorts that like visit your platform. So like once you understand like what you're trying to optimize for and kind of like how those different groups behave, then you can like put a strategy forth and like kind of like see it through. But um, but to use another sports analogy, um, you can never be sure like that your approach is right. Like you can only, um, you can only like uh, form your team, form your roster and your game plan with like the best information that you have and like march forward. And yep. sometimes you're gonna be the Houston Rockets where like on paper, like the shit should have worked out but they missed like 27 threes in a row in game seven or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like. But all you can do once the once you're like working from the information you have is is just kind of like march. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like trust the process. You 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 formulate sure. the process. You you have the marching orders because I mean it's it is a as someone who works in a company or my own company, I'm very well aware. Like you have to set up certain goals and you just have to kind of go with it. And yeah. in the end, you kind of have to trust that. And I, and the other thing is about kind of zigzagging too. It's kind of like, okay, everybody knows about Billy Bean and Moneyball. So then if everybody knows mm-hmm. about this is the way you're supposed to do marketing, then how do you right. somehow deviate from that? I guess mm-hmm. maybe an even more micro analogy would be like, uh, if everyone's using these tags on Instagram, are you, am I going to like use another tag now? Because I, I I'm right, going to try to sure. use this back alley way of, of doing it. So that, that That's whole right. thing is like a cat and mouse thing. And it's, it's, it's always changing. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's like, it can be tough to keep up. It can be tough to distinguish yourself. So, um, it, it is important to, um, balance that out with, um, with, you know, like, uh, being well-rounded, I'll say. Um, and every so often, um, I'll, I'll like hop on, uh, our, like our content management system and just like publish an article under the cover of night. Like I, I don't, I don't generally do that anymore because I'm like super busy, but like sometimes I'll like, I'll see something or something will happen and it'll be like so dumb that I can't help but like write 800 words about it. So like right. um, an example of this is that there's some new card in New Capenna that was like copy that, that had the text on it, copy a spell that wasn't cast. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. I read that one. Yeah, yeah. It's just the dumbest line of text yep. I've ever heard in my life. Yep. And like, holy shit. Like, that, yeah. that, that was crazy. <laughs> I've been playing magic for 20 years and that was like, it was not readily apparent to me, like how to even use this text box. Right. And it wasn't a thing where it was like, Ooh, that's really interesting. I wonder how I could do that. I was like, what yeah. the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, it's like a card that says, you know, if your opponent gains like six or more life, they only gain five life instead. Like it's such a corner of a corner case thing. Right. Like, right. How does this even work? Yeah. Um, 
Actually, that's a really good example of games uh, that only that, that was the vibe I felt when I read that your article. But um, this is the other thing that's really like intriguing to me as well. And I know I, I know I'm going to ask this knowing that I come from a different place from you. I think you're just naturally yeah. more confident than I am. But how does one toe the line between writing about magic, which is, which is essentially like a form of like criticism, right? Like you're you're mm-hmm. basically being a critic of how like not just this article, but just like you know, Throne of Eldraine. I, I watched the Circling the Eldraine video. It's like, yeah, of course, in hindsight, this is yeah. asinine. But uh-huh. but then the people who make the thing, which is design magic cards, they always have a very good defense. Like, you know, like, because uh, I've, I've talked to WotC staff and they're just like, you know, we don't control for everything. You know, things can yeah. happen. We want to err on the side of making powerful cards. But how do you balance that with being like kind of a critic, which is always like, hindsight is 2020 right so so like yeah. is it is there there's there always seems to be like this kind of undercurrent of just as someone who reads a lot of articles like kind of a holier than thou attitude it's just like yeah well sure. yeah all these things are are obvious in hindsight but in the moment maybe maybe not so so how do you do you do you think about that at all or is it just like you still feel like you have a responsibility to write about it or have a team write about it so yeah i I do feel that responsibility. Um, so yeah, you brought up like two really good examples and I think they like both play in different spaces. So with the, the, the whatever card from New Capenna, that was, I, for once, I was not the beneficiary of hindsight there. Like I generally am, but, um, but for this one, I wasn't. And I, I felt like in that one, um, a thing, a thing that I like that when blogs do it, uh, and it's generally outside of magic is like, (laughs) is when they like, they validate my feelings. (laughs) That's a good feeling validation. Yeah. 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 So vindication um, validation. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and like when a, like when a smart person does it, it, it feels really good. So, um, that was that was my attempt to do that um with that whatever blue new capenna card with the copy of spell that wasn't cast um so i for that one i specifically was like okay i'm not gonna wait for hindsight to like prove me right or wrong like i i really want to like put a line in the sand and um i i think the criticism like stands on its own for circling the Eldraine, um, yeah, yeah, I, I was the, I was a major beneficiary of hindsight on that one, right? Like, because I, yeah, it, at, at that point, I'm like, I'm, I'm writing about it as it's about to rotate out of standard, and all the shit's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a threshold that like something like Eldraine crosses where it's so ruinous and shit goes so badly <laughs> that so like, yeah. right. Like that, that's just like, okay. Like, um, I, I can't like, not... hold on. We had Kaladesh already. Right. So, right, right, right. Like, but, yeah. Yeah. There's a certain threshold of a ruin that like a set or a card or something crosses where it's no longer like uh i i i'm not worried about like whether or not hindsight is 2020 because i'm like genuinely pissed off 
like I I know that I'm not a designer and I um I know that that job is difficult and I believe I said as much in that video but like this set was so destructive to competitive magic that like I and plus I thought of the title circling the L drain like that <laughs> that was like a non-zero factor you gotta go I, with that yeah you gotta run with right that. right going. right you you think of a title like that like you you're, you can't leave that on the cutting room floor you've got you just locked in yeah exactly exactly um um but yeah i do generally try to stay away from like uh things that can only be like uh recognized in hindsight or um, I'll, I'll talk about a couple videos real quick where hindsight was definitely 2020, but I tried to make the case that like, you know, there, there's like a precedent for this kind of thing being busted or, or just like stupid. So first was, um, did a video about Phyrexian Vanna and, um, tried that was to a good set one. it up. I like that one. Thanks. Yeah. So... I, I tried to set up like, hey, here's this card called Channel that lets you like trade uh, your life for mana. And it's really fucked up. Um, and there are all these cards that like let you trade one resource for another with no friction. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turns out they're all really, really, really good. And that's all the Phyrexian mana is. And here's all the Phyrexian mana cards and they're all messed up. Um, but so with that video, even though it's like, it's all about hindsight, I've tried to frame. There's it also like, a lesson there, right? There's also like right. an instructive thing, which actually would yes. help someone who cares about magic design or mm -hmm. game design. Yeah. Right. And then, um, and then the other video was, um, I, I did one about textless cards and like, how it was a good idea that like really went off the rails by the time they like made a textless cryptic command. Like what the <laughs> fuck was that? <laughs> that? That was the jumping the shark moment for textless. That's parts. right. That's yeah. right. That that's what killed it. And, um, but I did make sure to say like, I really appreciate them like taking swings like that, like that taking swings is cool. Mm hmm of textless cryptic command is like a, a, a swing and a miss, uh -huh. but um, like, I, I like, I appreciate taking the swings. Like I, I try to be as fair as yeah. I can because yeah. I totally appreciate like hindsight's 2020. And I like, yeah, I, I, I try yeah. in my personal life to not get upset with myself uh, when like a decision I make doesn't go as well. Um, because like, yeah, I, I, I always try to use like all the information I have at the time. And then if something new comes up that like, I couldn't have anticipated, then I don't get too hard on myself when, uh, when things don't go well. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and that's something I, I really try to stay mindful of in my personal life. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, but the, the Throne of Eldraine thing specifically, that's probably the most egregious example of me just like uh, joining the dog pile, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I tried to take as scholarly as a, uh, of an approach to like 
<laughs> the sizing Wizards of the Coast yeah. as I could possibly take. Um, yeah. So that's like, I think that's how I kind of try to balance it out, if that makes sense. Yeah. It does. And do oh. you consider yourself to be a magic historian or a magic scholar or something else? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I was trying to set you up for an LU. Oh, shit, I totally missed it. I bricked on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'm more like, um, oh, God. Uh, I'm more like the Blake Griffin of 2022. Like, my, my knees are no good for the LAUs <laughs> these days. Sorry. You change, your, you change your game to shoot threes only? Yeah. 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 Allergic to the rim? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm but, but, but I'm, I'm asking, though, because, yeah. uh, joking aside, I'm asking because, like, your videos do have a serious sort of historical or scholarly bent to them. And yeah, yeah. So, I, so I am wondering about how you decide, is it, is it part of what you said earlier, which is like, you want to do something that's not everyone's doing, or is it, is it your personal interest mixed with that or something else? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I think, yeah, most recent video was about, I believe, the history of like the first season of the pro tour. And then um, right now I'm working on the script for uh, year two and the history of that. And I think I'll, like a lot of what Pretty Dece is, is a embodiment of my dissatisfaction with how Wizards of the Coast uh, chooses to market magic largely because it's this, huge game and it's we're in a market where like longevity um and just kind of like being around forever is basically an insurmountable market advantage and like you can see that with like flesh and blood like they're trying and i i hope things work out but like yeah, yeah it's, it's they're, they're trying to build like, a classic but magic is already a classic yeah that's right that's right so yeah, a lot of the way I approach things is like, it's just something I wish someone was doing. You know, like to me, Wizards of the Coast is like, they, they're sitting on so many cool stories that are just very strange. Like magic is full of strange things that that match between um, uh Patrick Chapin and Gabriel Nassif, like you, you can go really deep on that and explain it to a broad audience and still like make um, enfranchised players like happy with the video. Mm -hmm. And like, there's such an opportunity there to, to just like um, make magic like to not worry about it's like broad accessibility you mm -hmm. know what i mean but mm -hmm. like making it look like a cool thing mm -hmm. um or or the very least making it look interesting yeah um and every every like deck archetype that's ever existed is like a really long story yes and it's like and there are endless like iterations of that yeah. story in yeah. magic. Like I could, I could literally be doing these videos for the rest of my life if I wanted mm -hmm. to. I could mm -hmm. 
put the one well out is every limitless. Week. Yeah. Right, right. And like um the Pro Tour history, especially, is like it's so it's it's just like fascinating to me, and I can't really define why mm-hmm. um why context in general is so fascinating to me, but it just is. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, they're they've got this like this really powerful brand, the Pro Tour, that like so many intelligent people like aspired to be like regulars on the Pro Tour. Yeah. And um and the Hall of Fame and the whole thing. That exactly, comes with. exactly. And like it's really frustrating to see how reckless Watt C is with that asset. Sure. Right? Because like it's it's really hard to argue that they did anything but like piss it all away. Um and I I don't know if that's like if if that we'll we'll call it like a strategy, but I don't know if that's because like their KPIs or their goals are like way beyond my understanding or what, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, they could be making their own pretty decent that like actually contain firsthand accounts and they could like, they could blow me out of the water if they wanted to. And right. like, I, I feel like the, the, at least the, like the results on YouTube, like we're doing pretty well. Um, yeah. Like they speak to an appetite for this kind of thing. Um, and Ristic Studies content obviously really, really speaks to like mm-hmm. an appetite for mm-hmm. that long form type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's like myopia or what, but they, they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. Like that, like they went down the esports road, but really magic is probably like a, a better comp would be golf. Yeah, where sometimes yeah. people go to each stop on the PGA tour dressed as the putter, you know. But like, it's that's like a cool thing. It's like that's part of magic, and like you don't need to make it this like hype beast mm-hmm. uh, esports thing. You can just like yeah. lean into what it is that is cool. But um, yeah, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like um, at least their marketing arm is aware of why anyone would engage in uh, mm-hmm. competitive play, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. like a lot of what I'm doing is kind of like my own vision of how I would market this thing to people if it were up to me. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not to say I'm angling for a job at Watsi. I'm not, but like mm-hmm. I, I love magic and I love its history for whatever reason. And I'm like, and so it's really frustrating when I look at like a pro tour from 1997 and I only, there's only like four deck lists that exist on the internet. It's like, okay, that's cool. Like, I, I feel like these, this like information probably existed at one point, but like no one gave a shit, like multiple people just like either had no foresight or didn't care. So yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot lately in, in researching um, these old Pro Tour seasons. And I think, yeah, what I keep coming back to is, oh, this is actually a, a reflection of my dissatisfaction with how they've chosen to market this thing. What's your golden age of magic? 
mine um <laughs> it's really awkward because this is when like no one was playing but um i think that um when original kamigawa and original ravnica were in standard that shit was dope like the standard decks were sweet there were all kinds like you had uh you had heartbeat of spring that was like your combo deck you had um like you had a, a tron deck you had uh, it was like is it tron right mm -hmm. and um you also had like dragon storm in there a little later on when mm -hmm. uh, time spiral hit um and then um most of the guilds of ravnica were like actually very like constructed viable like uh, I remember Orzhov had like there was a deck with um, Nantuko Husk and Ghost Council of Orzhova and Promise of Rye, and then obviously there's like the Selesnya deck that won Worlds. There was the Gruel deck that Mark Herberholtz won Hawaii yep. with, mm -hmm. and uh, or Honolulu. Yeah, and so like that to me is like the golden age. Like there was there's so many decks that were viable and so many like different broad archetypes that were viable yeah unfortunately this is only through like a standard lens i think um uh in in many ways maybe the golden age of magic is like right now because of commander like um so when i started at tcg player i started in um our fulfillment center i um and I was, I was like literally packing orders mm -hmm. and I learned really quickly just by virtue of packing orders that like, wow. Um, so at least 95, like what are people buying? Orders, right. Yeah. yeah. And it's all commander. Like it's, it, there's no, like, there's no standard cards in here. Everyone's ordering. Like there's no room for you and I, man, with our, right, with our like right, standard right. decks, pro tour and, decks. And that's ultimately on balance. That's a really good thing for, say uh stores right because there's just like uh yeah they could move all this product that nobody wanted back in the day right 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 <laughs> and and it just like that that commander cohort um is so huge that like it's just easier for a store to sustain its existence now yeah and that's awesome uh, like I, I can't like, I can't speak to, I, I have no business acumen with running an LGS, but like, it seems just based on how popular the game is and then commander specifically that it's, um, it's easier to stay in, sustain an LGS than it like ever has. Been. Mm -hmm. So maybe now is the golden age of magic, because mm -hmm. when I talk about my golden age, I'm just like talking about standard, which is a, a really limited perspective. Okay, so I'm really glad you you told me about these two golden ages for you because yeah. then I'm going to just challenge you and ask you. I try not to have leading questions, but like, <laughs> how much of what you just said is uh -huh. just nostalgia, just pining for oh, the old times? A shitload of it. Okay, oh, and I'm not yeah, implying like, anything other than just like because I'm not. very nostalgic too. You know, like yeah. if you listen to some of my other episodes, like. I've talked about the, the 1990s and how it was my golden age and I still live in the yeah. 90s and the frailty of memory back then where there was, it was really like oh, pre-internet. Yeah. So if you told somebody something, 
You could only validate it through word of mouth. You couldn't Google it. And that was just, this is actually why people love, in my opinion, the 90s magic yeah. content, because you couldn't actually know this stuff. Like I grew up, yeah. you know, like buying issues of The Duelist and like reading Sideboard magazine and seeing the coverage yeah. that way. I remember yeah. reading about uh, the hammer, Sean the hammer, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and and you know these decks, and I was I was reading like Rosewater's puzzles in the last the last page of the magazine, and yeah. that's all I had. The prices didn't change on a website. I had to like buy Inquest or Scry magazine or whatever it was. And mm -hmm. you know, by the way, shout out Balduvian Horde. That was the number one card in alliances or Ice Age. I still remember <laughs> that. Like they said, Necropotence was trash. Anyways, uh, hindsight right. is twenty twenty, right? Um, yes, and that was really cool because like back then to even like watch a music video, you had to like find it on, you know, MTV or like the Canadian version of it for me. And it's just like, yeah, you can find everything now. Right. I mean, yeah. with some exceptions, right. Because I think even now when you're doing pretty decent, it's fairly easy to go into archives and find like, ah, uh, there, there's that VHS of, Okay, maybe some are harder to find than others. I do remember like right, right, right. LSV yeah. a few but years no. ago was asking for some footage and nobody could find it. Uh, mm -hmm. But like that is a big part of it too, I think. If we're being honest, like it's the nostalgia oh, yeah. coupled with the fact that we were effectively in the dark ages. Oh yeah, that's a great point. Like, um, are you familiar with uh, the format old school at all? Yes, I am. I, I don't so, play it, but I know of old school and what it's about. Yes. Holy shit. That seems like the worst gameplay possible. Like I, I couldn't imagine. I do not want to go back to 1993. I'm sorry. No. All the 30 years of theories we've learned about magic. Right. Yeah. Like uh, I'm yeah, not, I'm I don't want to be stopped by against, a circle of protection. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. I'm dying to play against four fucking stone rains. Like I would, I would rather not. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the, the decks all seem miserable. The gameplay is, like, atrocious. And, yeah, I, I think that, like, <laughs> it's, it's all nostalgia, right? Because, you got to like, find the balance because you don't want to go back to yeah. old school. You don't want, I don't want to literally go back to 1993 with my brother and, you know, playing, you know, 85 card. Actually, that's a bad because of Yorion, but I don't. Bad example. <laughs> But like, you know, You're... Demonic Attorney, I remember playing for Anti with my brother mm -hmm. and like winning cards and it was cool at the time, but maybe not great now. Like there's got to be right. a balance, right? Right. And it's it's really important to maintain um, to maintain the perspective that like, OK, whatever you think the golden age of magic is like if you added arena to that, like the format would be cracked within like two weeks. Like, yes, Without and a doubt. And, and it doesn't matter what time period you go into, just like just like put arena in it and see what happens. And it's just like a, a crazy volume of people just like cracking every format like that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to like kind of maintain that perspective on what you think is good. And um and then like once you once you have that, you can you can start to um, maybe give yourself some or establish some like heuristics on like what makes a good format. But again, like just knowing that whatever shit you like would be cracked in like the an internet era, like is important, I think. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. This is actually something I've really wanted to do. And I, I don't, 
who knows, maybe you could do it in the future. And I'm not saying that you, you have to love the idea, but what if we actually did this kind of like old farts like us versus the new kids? Because, you know, it's not just like the, the, the Zoomers who you are now playing. You want us to get destroyed by some Zoomers? Is that, is that what we're I'm not saying we're literally like playing magic against each other and having a tournament. Yeah. I'm just saying like talk to people that just started magic 10 years ago, five years ago. There's a lot of them. And yeah. and basically, it's kind of like the YouTube equivalent of like just showing them old like Phil Collins music videos. Like like just tell just oh, just, right. just man on the street. I know what you're talking about. And just now. and just show them. You know, you have these people who are listening to like you know, oh, you know shit. Phil Collins for the first time in 2022. Like just show them uh, old Pro Tour footage and, yeah, and yeah. have them react Zoomers to it. React and... to Pierre Canali trying to play Affinity in the finals. In exactly. Like, like what is this or or like having them like watch uh, chandelier or yeah you know, you're one oh of magic God. online and just yeah. be like get their reaction like what the, what in the world is this like yeah. you know for someone Make who grew Nathan up on stoyer play chandelier that's brilliant i would yeah. watch that yeah Holy just take shit. that idea and run with it man just like like i'm going just, to like just just have a real like crossing the generations and just like like because we have our rose colored glasses so it's like right. what if you what if you went up to a kid and just showed them like inquest magazine like literally a copy and have yeah. them go through it and be like what is this I like first of all it. what is a magazine secondly like what is this you know right 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 why why do i have this book here yeah. why is it all wiggly yeah yeah exactly or like show them i don't know the article that you read in 2000 of like the guy doing the type one report like what is this right yeah 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 Yeah. and see what happens (laughs) i love it yeah yeah i oh my god i wasn't sure where you were going for a sec but then like yeah zoomers react like yeah I, i love those videos i'm like a sucker for that kind of shit yeah um especially if it's like like i grew up on blink 82 so like okay the the typical like uh the, the archetypical like uh content like that is zoomers react to like blink 182 music videos or whatever. right and, right um, yeah um god that would be so sick to make like oliver tomiko or someone like really young play chandelier <laughs> just have them be like what the fuck is this yeah oh yeah. god yeah that i love it i love it yeah Okay, like, I'm excited now. <laughs> I love talking to you. Uh, so I have. <laughs> Thanks, I have man. A, I love talking to you. Yeah, I, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, I want to. I want to call this because you had mentioned like more about TCG Player and like you know managing a team of content creators. Mm-hmm. I did talk to Emma Partlow, and she gave me permission to talk about this. Uh-huh. Uh, not too far into her, not too long into her her employment at TCG players. I know she was a contractor before and she, she yeah. became full-time with you guys and she's doing a great job. As you said, mm-hmm. um, you actually wrote her a 2000 word email about how to improve as a content creator. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Maybe the motivation yeah. behind that, but also like what it was about, like I have the email in front of me, but it's always better to hear it straight from the source. Fuck. So I wrote that a long time ago and um, I don't, I unfortunately like don't quite so I, I remember how I framed it a bit and it was like I 
one of the most like formative classes I took in college was actually uh, a playwriting class. It was like a grad level playwriting class. And like what we had to do in that class, we had to do all these workshops where we would write like a 10 page scene and um, like our classmates would act it out. And then um, we would have to like give each other critiques. And it was in that way that I really learned how to like, criticize something or like how to give notes and so I, I remember like putting all the things she's doing right up at the top so like um elucidating that like your perspective on um like magic players and their challenges and like what they want and need uh is really unique and really mm-hmm. powerful and like that is going to serve you this is her well. budget series right yeah. that's right that's right um and uh and she worked at an lgs which i i don't think i knew until like i sent her that email but um it it totally makes sense because uh, she's so empathetic in a way that like uh, no other magic writer really is um and then um i think when i was going into like the criticism of her prose or whatever was I I tried to use specific examples and like discuss like okay with this example you tried xyz and it's not it's not playing for like these reasons uh this is something we see often from your work but like making uh, making the criticisms actionable, really important. So, um, um, like turning, turning those kinds of notes into like, instead of that, you can do this, or instead of that, you can do this. Yeah. Um, and like making sure that like, when they've taken in the whole thing, they know that like, Hey, you are still valued, even though like, there's a couple things over here that you can like fix and make better uh with my team i (laughs) my boss is gonna listen to this but it's okay i i try to uh stress inefficiency as much as possible and okay yeah what that means is like what i expected (laughs) right 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 so like what that means is like um our relationship with our writers is really valuable so like if if you're going to take the time to give them feedback, like do not have ass the shit, like spend a lot of time, spend like four hours if you have to, because like word of mouth is really powerful. And um, you are, you are a very visible arbiter of TCG player. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if you give really thoughtful feedback at the cost of like getting one blog out, who the fuck cares? Mm-hmm. Like that, because it's this basically play is, the long game, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like this is, this is someone's livelihood over here. Like this writer, that's really important. And yeah. like, that's a huge responsibility. So like you have to come correct. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with my like, he really long email to Emma. I I was like, I was uh, attempting to lead by example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I 
I've tried to like pull up that email um, uh, as like a frame of reference for other people and myself because it's been so long since I wrote it, but like I, it's been lost to the sands of time, at least in my inbox. I gotta ask Emma for it. I I have it in front of me and I love it because I'll just I'll just have two examples from the email that I, I'll just sure. share because she gave me permission to. Uh, hopefully, yeah, from, you gave me permission yeah, to yeah, because yeah, you wrote yeah, it. Go for it, please. Okay. One of them was like really nice one where you talked about how she was overusing the passive voice and how mm-hmm. it wasn't that constructive to getting the point across, but you said it in a way that was kind of like very respectful, kind of going to what you said. It wasn't just like, you suck at this or something like that. Like it wasn't, it wasn't anything on the edge of parody or like self seriousness, but it was more like you're doing yeah. something here that I noticed. Uh, you could try doing it this way. You would get your message across in the same way and would be more readable. So it was more, it was just about okay. effectiveness. The yeah. other thing that I remember from the email was just like minimum word count. You actually had a really good sense of empathy, I believe, where you felt like she was overcompensating for hitting the minimum word count by going above and beyond and padding yeah. the articles. And I know she's fixed that. Again, she, she gave me permission to talk about this. So I think it's fair game. But you, you basically gave her the count of several articles and said, yeah, you notice how the minimum was X and you went above it every time. So you don't actually have to worry about hitting the minimum in case that's what you were worried about. And I felt like, and what actually what she told me after the fact was also that it actually made her realize like just her blind spots. And then Emma and I actually talked about this recently where it's like, because you don't know your own blind spots. So if someone needs to tell you that, so it sort of awakens you, And that actually, she told me that actually helped her become a better writer. She said that that email and how she internalized it and really took that constructive feedback and made it constructive for her. Like that Mm -hmm. really turned the tables for her as a, as a writer. And now she told me that she's a, she tells me she's a better writer now because of that. And she never Mm -hmm. knew that. So I think that's also one of the beauties of like editorial if done right is just like the constraints actually make you better because you have these constraints yeah. or you have a, mm-hmm. you have editorial, right? And Emma. Yeah. So like, it's, it's a, it's a skill to take feedback and like actually be able to like work it into uh, a new processes for yourself going forward. And yeah, like I, I can't say enough about how much of a pro Emma is like, yeah, she's awesome. Like, Man, I I totally forgot about that email. Like, <laughs> he's cool. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm very flattered. Like, yeah, I'm I'm extremely humbled right now. I'm kind of speechless. I don't know what's. <laughs> I mean that that's also the beauty of life is just that sometimes we do these things and they impact somebody so much and we just don't have any idea because we just moved on to the next email. It's just it's just human nature. It's it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Like so. I'm not expecting you to react to it necessarily anyway, but if you're speechless, that's great. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to also tell the story, not just for you, but also for, for people, because I think it yeah. is instructive to, um, you know, that's one thing I, 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 I wish I had when I was writing the, the two books that I did and I didn't have a, a proper editor, like I hired an editor. I was very harsh on myself, but I really, I really believe that in the creative process, you need people to, put the foot down and actually say yeah, yeah. like you need to change this James like this kind of is not working right mm-hmm. and I, I think there's a good way to do that there's a bad way to do that but
but I think that's important. I think any creative yeah. endeavor, you need, you need constraints. So, okay, turning this into a question, mm. I think you're a fairly, just from talking to you, I feel like you're a fairly effective manager. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, your manager might listen to her or whatever, right? But uh, <laughs> John's like, checks in the mail. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm always fascinated by this because I think some people just naturally have a knack of being a quote unquote good manager. But I want to know, like, if you look at yourself, how did you find your method? Was it just like observing like what not to do? Was it having good managers? Like what was it exactly that allowed you to do what you do? So I think the first thing is like making sure that you understand the responsibility. Like, again, you are, like this is someone's livelihood. That's a huge responsibility. So like, I, I do not take that lightly. Like this is, this is literally like, it's not someone's career, yeah. someone, but it's their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their, it's their well-being. It's their livelihood. So like uh, being cognizant of that responsibility is like an important uh, first step. And then, from there, it's uh, it, it requires a lot of. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty bad at like um, talking up myself. I think, but um, I think it does require a lot of empathy. Just like understanding what someone in you, their spot would want or need from you, while also um, understanding like your role where you need certain outputs from them and like it's all got to be funneled towards growing their career however they want to grow it um so like if uh if one of your folks like doesn't want to manage but like is showing incredible aptitude at their work then like you need to put them in a position to basically maximize the amount of money that they make right like that's that's like my goal right mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm trying to get my people paid as much as possible yeah. max value um, yeah 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 like um and and to do that like you need to put them in a position to generate value right so like um and that that can be tricky but we are we're one of the things we're fortunate about in in content specifically is that we have a big sandbox mm -hmm. and like we um and we have a lot of uh qualitative and quantitative um kind of like feedback or data mm -hmm. and we get to constantly like build on what we're learning mm -hmm. so um just making sure that everyone's got the tools to understand that and um, making sure that there's kind of like processes in place. I'm like, I'm a big process nerd. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I tend not to follow them myself, but like I, I am interested. In well, you gotta, like, you, sometimes you gotta know the rules in order to know how to break it or subvert it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That yeah, and um and and it's really tough uh, to try to um, manage by example when I uh, flout uh, um, 
processes more often than I should. But um, like, I, I also try to be very candid about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, these processes are like for you to understand so that like you can also maybe one day break them, but like, I'm gonna do it a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, to their credit, most of most of my editors like don't ever like break process much if at all mm -hmm. which is cool i suppose um but yeah um sorry this is a really really long-winded answer and I'm no it's totally really fine sure. like yeah i <laughs> fear makes a pretty effective manager <laughs> because like your yeah, anxiety you're, bunch of things yeah, yeah if you're worried about your people you're yeah. like you're you're on the right track. Yeah. Well, I mean, not that's, that there's that, anything to worry about, right? That's it, like, isn't it? Like, I think life is, it, it is about giving a shit. It is about yeah, yeah, caring. Yeah. And it's, that's a better it's, way to put it than what it's, it's really, because I'm in the magic space too, not just like mm -hmm. this podcast, but also different ventures and stuff. And I think it's difficult because I'm very cynical. I think honestly, people just in general don't give a shit. And yeah, I have been very frustrated in the past by like, kind of like it's economics. It's like, why are they not doing things uh, based mm -hmm. on incentives or why, why if I'm right. giving them the carrot, why are they not taking the carrot? And it's just, people are irrational. People contradict themselves. Uh, kind of like maybe a microcosm of what you said about, you know, like you're a manager who wants X, but you don't always follow X and that's just life. But I think it's important to just give a shit. I think life or management or being on the planet is really more about just being mostly authentic, like 51% or above authentic. Like you can't always be hundred uh, percent with everybody, but yeah. it's also tough because in the magic space, what I was trying to say was that in the magic space, people are not that structured. It's kind of like, no, it's kind of like you, this is, I think where you and I might have a bit of an advantage because if you are structured, you have like process driven thinking. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people play that play magic or in the magic space. I don't, they don't even know what a calendar is. Like it's, so, it's just yeah. like, you know, like you, so you have to, you have to work around it, but you also have to not be frustrated by that because it's also what got them there in the first place, you know? So yeah, not to like specifically call out like what's been happening with other magic blogs, like this year in the, in the recent past, but like, yeah, it's, it's really hard to, there is sometimes it's really hard to look at another platform and like, uh, backwards, uh, analyze, like, or like even figure out like what their goals are mm -hmm. because, um, a lot of the content that we are competing with is operating off of a like legacy playbook that was invented in the nineties. Right? right. Like, right. And it's all geared towards franchise players and it's all like, geared towards this very tiny cohort that like we don't i don't know how transactional they are right like mm -hmm. just to throw out an example um and yeah it, it does make you wonder like are these people paying attention mm -hmm. like do they know that it's commander and like mm -hmm. you can't like half-ass it with 
commander like you actually have to bring like a unique perspective or else no one's going to give a shit like mm-hmm. and yeah so to your point of not giving a shit and not enough people doing that um youtube for all its problems i really appreciate it because it really is like a a high effort platform where like trying really hard actually pays you off and that's really rare these days i think Mm -hmm. maybe it's not but like no i believe that i think it's mostly meritocratic yeah yeah so and youtube feels like a shining example of a platform that like does pay you out for effort in to a point mm-hmm. um, um yeah like heuristic studies is just like kind of uh, they're a really good example in the magic space of that where mm-hmm. all of his work is extremely high effort mm-hmm. and he has a huge following there's the giving a shit at the individual level or at you know but there's also giving a shit at the organizational level and there's also like giving a shit at the audience level which is like can you actually make them want to watch or consume your your thing which is also yeah sorry go ahead no you're good i i was gonna say i appreciated your like uh your reference to economics a couple minutes ago like why aren't people responding to these like incentives we're putting in front of them or whatever why aren't people perfectly rational right yeah right right yeah and it's yeah it's it's annoying and it's really hard to um, to moneyball that, right? It's really hard to, like it's easier to identify the, um, the idiosyncrasies of a given market. It's harder to know what to do to take advantage of them. Right, absolutely. By the way, this is something that I was gonna say was that I really mm-hmm. love the, maybe this is me reading into it too much, but when I watch Pretty Dece, I watch a couple mm-hmm. of the videos. Mm-hmm. What really impresses me is just like it's the economic analysis, or not maybe not economic, but just the study of incentives, right? Because you yeah. know, like Mercadia Mask was a terrible block because they said if you if you made the same mistake again, you'll be fired. Well, what are they gonna do, right? Like right. Like they needed to sell more magic cards after the Homelands fiasco. What are they going to do? Of course, they're going to have a PT where you have to play with Homelands cards and these other cards together and have these arbitrary construction guidelines. And of course, they're going to have a a pro scene because they're desperate. I mean, people forget. I mean, it's it's the whole survivorship bias thing, right? It's like magic may not even have existed in another timeline if things went slightly south. And this is this that's the stuff that really fascinates me which makes your thing yeah. really stand out then because i i think you you and risk studies are just like you're you're not the same obviously because like he's doing something sam's doing something entirely different um yeah. this is like saying like just because we both play sports that like this minor league team is the same as this other major league team i'm not implying like some sort of like hierarchy but just like this is a different thing that game that you're playing and right, right. what I love about Pretty Decent is just that it's very incentives focus as a storytelling well, yeah. device. And right, I right. wanted to ask you about that because it comes out to me very apparently. And it, I don't see this in other like a, a lot of videos are just about, oh, this is terrible. Like, like <laughs> shouting. Yeah, yeah. Right. And of yeah, course, yeah. that sells. And that's another conversation in itself. 
Um, so that that's an incentive in itself is to, mm -hmm. to have the all caps titles and shouting um, yeah. into the camera, which is totally fine because you're, you're building an audience or whatever. I, I, I don't, I don't have any, I don't begrudge anyone for doing that, but I like you have a very, <laughs> yeah, but you, but you have your <laughs> own way. Sucks. So, yeah, so yeah, how yeah. do you, how, how did you come up with this, this method? Like, was it from so, writing into this or something else? Yeah. So you, you called it, um, you, you tied it to, um, economics with incentives. Um, I think I might define it as, uh, just, uh, empathy, you know, mm. like, uh, and just the act of writing um, makes me more empathetic than I am in my day to day. It, it, like it, it ties back into that, like the act of uh, sitting down and actually thinking about what I'm doing instead of just being like yeah. a, a human on the world. Um, it like, yeah, it's, I, it's important to me to give like a, um, to offer a perspective that is like respectful of the audience and the subjects and to do that like it you're really it behooves you to understand like why the decisions are being made and just like kind of come up with your best guesses which is what i try to do um and um i i i don't know if i have like um, a, a proclivity for doing that or if I'm necessarily good at it, but like, I, I enjoy, uh, trying to come up with those narratives. It's mm -hmm. like the creative mm -hmm. and creative writing. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would just call it, um, maybe, maybe the differentiating factor is just empathy. Just like even, even an attempt to understand someone in good faith, um, can do a lot to set you apart from uh, all the other offerings on YouTube, which mm. is sad, but like, yeah, that's just maybe the way the world is. Um, but I, I do think the best creators, like when, when you talk about like the cream rising to the top, um, it's all people who understand um, at least their audience innately. Um, uh, the professor, uh, the Tularean Community College is another like kind of classic example. Like he, he knows his audience like better than anybody. And he is like maniacally focused on like delivering them yeah. uh, a valuable perspective or valuable information. And that fucking, it rules. It's awesome. Like, um, yeah, he's just hyper-focused. He knows his audience. Yeah, yeah. And he like, he is hyper fixated on, like, being worth their time, which is, yeah, again, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, and that's, yeah, I think that's like, maybe what you're observing that uh, maybe sets me apart and also, like, makes YouTube a uh, marketing channel that I really appreciate, because uh he's the biggest magic channel and by far the most empathetic right mm -hmm. like you can yeah and i do like um branding it as like economics too because that 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to steal that, I think. <laughs> it's, you can steal all the things we talked about today. I do want that, you know, like boomer, zoomer, man on the street kind of thing. That I shit wanna, is coming. You need to, you need to make happening. that a reality. If there's one takeaway. Oh, take my away, God. Uh, but also, like, I also call it economics because I think uh-huh. economics is about unintended consequences. And when oh, you sure. look at when you look at Watsi or organized play or magic in any context or many contexts, it's there's a lot of that. It's like yeah. they threw something at the wall, just like we talked about throwing things at the wall for marketing and seeing what sticks. Like mm-hmm. um, these are people with jobs. They they have their incentives. They wanted to yeah. keep their jobs. So, you know, things that happened 30 years ago have repercussions today. And it's mm-hmm. all kind of like a bunch of butterfly effects. And I always talk, I always have a difficulty talking about this because I always come off as a Watsi apologist because I sure. often try to think about how, what they're dealing with. Like, like, I mean, just think about our jobs. Like how hard is it to, it's pretty hard to like deliver quality content every week or every month for a TCG player, I assume. And people have their own motivations and you have to motivate them in a, in the right way. You have KPIs that, uh, TCG player has to meet, you're accountable to your boss and things like that. So that's right. under that context, like people always expect these decisions to be perfectly made in a vacuum, but it's just not right. possible uh, with, the, with the complexity. And which is why I think it's good that Pretty Dece is pretty empathetic because like if, you, if you're aware of that, then it's fine. It's, it's basically like saying it's about balance, right? Because you are allowed, of course, you're allowed to criticize something because you're yeah. You know, you have a freedom to, but also people understand that it's like sometimes you, and of course the old adage, like you, you criticize because, because you care, right? you like, you'll talk about right. how the system is busted in baseball or this thing because you care about it. Otherwise you wouldn't talk about it. Right. Yeah. That's that, that definitely rings true. Um, yeah. For, for whatever reason, I, I seem to care a lot about magic, the gatherings history. And like, yeah, um, it deep down, I know that like a lot of the, a lot of the stories I tend to talk about on Dece, like are basically shining a light on Watsi mistakes and they're not necessarily incentivized to shine a light on their own mistakes, even if they were like 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, um, like I, I think on balance, I, I, ah, man, I just, I, I, I really want to see those stories, right? Like, yeah. and who better to tell them than them? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, again, more, more at stake there than I am even aware of. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. it, um, it's important to know how dumb you are. And I'm like, pretty, I'm pretty like, I, I know how dumb I am. So like, I, I, don't, well, I don't. No, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I would just say that we all know how limited we are just because we're, we're always looking at things from our own personal perspective and there's only, right. there's limits to what you can do. Right. 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 And, um, and yeah, I, I can't necessarily in good faith have like want or want Watsi to like talk about how fucked up Urza's saga block was and like how that nonsense came to be but at the same time i i want to see it and like i (laughs) (laughs) right and i um yeah i it it does like it would require a leap of faith like 
You have to trust me. It's not going to ma- damage the brand. That shit happened like mm-hmm. 25 years ago. It's mm-hmm. fine. Let's just, let's do this video. On it's YouTube, it's guys. totally possible. I've thought about this like in podcast form as well, like doing an oral mm-hmm. history of uh, Watsi or any, anything magic related where, you, yeah. but you have to find like ex employees basically like, right. and then that becomes a journalistic exercise because number one, like, what's the incentive for them to tell you other than to vent? And number two, if they're venting, mm-hmm. then you're not getting a full view. It's kind of like right. interviewing, you know, like the ex Amazon employees about, of yeah. course it's terrible, right? Working for Jeff yeah. Bezos and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess, uh, all right. I'll just make this the last question. So the probably easiest one. So John, what's the best place for people to find you on the internet or where you would like to be found? Um, all right. So, uh, or your work. Uh, infinite- yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> let's uh, let's start there. So infinite.tcgplayer.com is uh, is the blog I manage. Um, we publish articles on uh, the Pokemon TCG, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh TCG, and then Magic the Gathering. So um, I I have a byline there. It's like I I don't publish much. Uh, if you're looking for more of my work, uh, our YouTube channel just type in uh, Pretty Dece or TCG Player in the search bar. You'll find all the stuff that we're working on. And uh, if you want to talk to me directly, uh, do not do that. I'm just kidding. I'm uh, <laughs> at You, you express yourself through your work. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am at Feb31st on Twitter. So F-E-B-3-1-S-T. Okay. I always lie about this being the last question because usually the, the guests will say something and I want to ask them more. So why, why Feb 31st? Um, that is actually based on, so it's funny. Um, I, I came up with that um, after reading uh, George Carlin in like middle school. He was really influential. Like reading his books were like a huge, like they, they just unlocked a lot of, things for me at a really young age and um one of his like bits was about how the like the gregorian calendar just like does not work it's mm-hmm. just like still fucked up like mm-hmm. they you just can't get it to work yeah and um i i after reading that i like i think i was i needed like a screen name for something and yeah. i was like feb 31st works and now Feb 31st is some Italian glasses company and they make wooden frames and they're hideous. <laughs> and I get tagged in their shit constantly. Oh man. Bane of my existence. Right. Right. Oh. Right. All right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta find a new handle, man. I think Twitter lets you do I've that. I've been trying to sell it to them for like oh yeah, yeah. It's like domain squatting, years. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, guys. Uh, I'm 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 looking to sell this to you. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's talk. Let's make a deal. I'm I'm open for this. I yeah. don't need to be Feb 31st anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I also want to ask you about TCG Player Infinite. So, uh, yeah. if I understand correctly, you're responsible for basically you're the product lead. So you're like, I was the product lead. You were okay. Now the product lead is Colin Chilbert, who you know, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Legacy player. I yes. may have played against him in a paper GP once upon a time. That, that makes sense. MTG the source. Uh, shout out to MTG the source. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to MTG the source. 
god. Oh, Holy that's shit. awesome. Another deep cut. Well done. That is this is this is the episode of deep cuts. It's like oh, this yeah. is what I love about the podcast because if anyone actually bothered to listen two hours in, they're deep cutting. <laughs> they're deep cutters. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah. we could talk about anything right now and it would be fully ex- fully acceptable. Like I don't know. I've got two more hours. I can go till <laughs> I, I took off work tomorrow to play in the Star City. So like I've got the time. Ah uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, let's talk about the Equipoise combo deck. Because I, I still don't understand it. <laughs> well, you, I'm just gonna wait for the the video on that from from you, right? It's gotta Adam do that. Barnello tried to explain that combo to me like literally 50 times, and yeah. like I still like my brain's just like. How is like, how is Adam Barnello doing? I I I I last ran into him when he was uh, still somewhat remotely into Magic because he was cosplaying mm-hmm. as Garrick. I remember uh, taking a photo with him yeah. at. I think it was oh, SG awesome. Syracuse. This is like pre-pandemic, maybe a year before the pandemic. Now I'm wondering if he'll be there because his he might he might his, be right. His thing now is that he just like shows up to these things and he's just like, "Hey, John." Yeah, because he already stopped like, playing magic. Why didn't he text me? <laughs> but yeah, he's doing well. Um, uh, I think his son is. Oh gosh, he's got to be like almost, a couple years now, right? Yeah, three or four. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, his son's getting old. Um, yeah. I've um, I've lifted weights with him a couple times since the pandemic, but um, I, yeah, I haven't really seen him much since the pandemic, unfortunately. Mm, and um, okay. we we still like we we're still friends and have a lot of friends in common. But mm. like, yeah, he's more or less out of magic at this point in his life, so I I don't really see him. And um, we we had like a group of friends that all went to like lift together and yeah. um he's been he's been doing that mostly like out of his house now so like um uh once or twice this year i think i've like been over to his garage to, oh, okay to, like lift weights with the old crew get the old yeah yeah i think life. he was he's into powerlifting or like lifting really yeah. heavy objects <laughs> yeah he's strong <laughs> yeah yeah, strong. yeah yeah um but diversion aside because just going back to the question about infinite is infinite meant to be like the content arm of TCG player is that what it is? That's the that is correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was I was product on that. Um, yeah, my my journey through TCG player is really weird. Basically, like fulfillment center to marketing, then to product, and then back to marketing. Right. But um, uh, basically, we were tasked with um, like sunsetting the legacy content site okay. and just kind of. Um, uh like uh just like making a, a platform for right. like the 21st century basically all right just uh reborn as the as the phoenix or whatever it is and for right. for the modern age no pun intended right correct mundo all right john such a pleasure to have you on the on the podcast uh have yeah, a great a blast yeah uh i had a blast and uh i i feel like i i came out of it with like a bunch of new ideas and uh, I hope you have a, a good rest of the evening where you are and have fun at uh, SCG this weekend. I will. Thanks, man. Uh, talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at humansofmagic, And you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.